Hi Hello. there, and welcome to another episode of Where's My Freaking Dressing Room, a podcast where we discuss the world of classical music and what things are really like backstage. You might be hearing a little bit of bird song, a little bit of tweeting in the background. Um, Alex and I are absolutely delighted to be down in Albright at the moment as part of a Britain Peers residency. We're absolutely thrilled to be here and more than anything to have just some pure time mm. to focus on the podcast and this amazing project. So thank you so, so much to the Britain Peers Foundation for this time. P.S. We're also sunburnt already. <laughs> Today's episode... I would say was mostly inspired by me, but it's also inspired by the football mania, which has recently taken over our country. Um, my boyfriend is absolutely football obsessed. And so I have spent a little bit of time thinking about some of the similarities and also some of the transferable elements i guess of the football game which i think it would be healthy and helpful if we were to incorporate into the singing world so today we're going to have a little chat firstly about gareth southgate as a manager and how he puts the mental health of his players first we're going to have a chat about how there is a real sense of team spirit within the england euros team and how that's something i'd love to cultivate in the classical music industry we're going to talk about the pressure of penalties and how that's something that i think actually we as singers experience a lot in auditions and competitions and then we're going to finish up with something to do with double casting triple casting multiple casting and the role of understudies and how in gareth southgate's euros team every player on the pitch and off is made to feel equally important and whether you're cast a cast b cast c or an understudy that should apply to you too it could be interesting <laughs> alex do you love football do you want to tell everyone about your football <laughs> well i was in the g g for golf g for god <laughs> that team at g Mar for god awful <laughs> <laughs> yeah at school so uh that was the highlight of my career i think i moved to the s at one point yeah football's not really my thing um yeah. i'm all wimbledon so i think let's dive straight in and have a chat about gareth southgate and his mm -hmm. treatment of mental health all cast all cast this is your five minute call repeat all cast all cast this is your five minute call Something I noticed uh, reading articles about the Euro experience and listening to Gareth Southgate's interviews is that he wanted his team to be at essentially their peak of mental health. And he understood, or at least that's what I kind of sense in him, he understood the need for the players to feel safe, to feel confident and to feel secure. So I remember when... We were in the World Cup, which would have been oh, 2017, 18. Yeah, of course, it's going to be tenuous. But let's say we were in the World Cup in 2018. I don't know. And at that point, when we competed, he shipped loads of art and like creative elements to the hotel where the players were staying because he wanted them to have different things to, to inspire them or to, to take their mind kind of off the, the oh. big game. And he also, I believe, an article I read, he asked each player to bring a memorable item from home to have with them. And I just thought all of these little touches and tools are, are so indicative of the fact that he treats the players as a whole 
and as human beings at the end of the day they're not just football players at that point they have family lives they have home lives and you know to compete in the world cup and the euros they're away from their families for really long periods of time and so he's putting techniques and strategies in place in order to try and help these people feel a bit more i don't know comfortable safe and secure throughout the course of that tournament and i just think we in the opera industry in the classical music industry we don't really care for our musicians in the same way no gosh absolutely not and i think if you're let's say a a musician that's that's traveling a lot and you're going from hotel to hotel and production to production let's say you're in a run of shows that's going to last four to six weeks are the production team thinking of you in that way are they caring for you in that way if you're abroad are they offering you external support in that way and as always we recognize the financial limitations Mm. on classical music we recognize the practical limitations on classical music yes you know football has tons of money at its behest which it can throw at any kind of problem but i do think stuff like art and little touches to think about the the mental health and well-being of the players is so so important and for for the recent euros tournament where they were staying again they had like a swimming pool and they had like a basketball court and like there were lots of toys in that pool to Mm -hmm. kind of just offer these players that time to lighten up to see those videos of that team laughing together and enjoying their time with one another surely that's cultivating a positive team attitude which they're then able to take into those matches now i don't know about you alex but I've had some slightly questionable team experiences, mm. if you will, in the opera world. I, I don't know how you felt, you know, would you say when you've done productions, there's been a, a positive team spirit or, you know, how would you compare what I'm describing from the football team to, to classical music? Well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting the way the team seems to be looked after the entire time yeah. on, especially off the pitch. Yeah. It seems to me, I don't know anything about football. I repeat again. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Whereas, I mean, obviously the difficulty is, you know, the, the money involved and how can you get the whole cast of an opera to stay in one specific hotel or whatever. So touring productions that I've done, you know, people were really staying in very random places and it was at your own effort that you found a place to stay. And there wasn't, to be honest, there was really no recommendation or anything or help towards finding those places to stay which was fine because you know I did it a year in advance (laughs) but you know (laughs) it did mean that everyone was staying in in random locations some people had to drive miles because there was a cheap place or whatever so there was very much a feeling that once it was finished unless you sort of go for a drink afterwards which, you know, if the opera ends at like quarter to 11, <laughs> because it's so long and, and, <laughs> and then half, half the cast or three quarters of the cast have to drive somewhere, then that's a bit, that's not going to work, is it? So, you know, it was very much like, okay, from 4pm, let's say, until 11 o'clock, you're together. Mm-hmm. But then the rest of the time, what do you do? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, doing... Being in those odd places, you know, maybe you're feeling slightly nervy about the show later anyway. It is like, well, what do I do with my time? How do I get myself out of my head? Yeah. And there's no help or support. Management. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or or sort of, 
Yeah, and just no thought the, behind it. In the rehearsal period, because I'm assuming you weren't rehearsing as late as like an 11 mm-hmm. o'clock show or anything, was was that kind of a similar experience? It would just be, you're in for the rehearsal, you do your bit and you're out. That's it. That's it. Well, uh, yeah, again, because everyone was commuting from a billion places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, someone had a, a train a train commute like an hour and 50 minutes each way. Yeah. And obviously people had families to get back to or whatever. So yes, every now and then people would go out for a drink together. But in a sense that always felt a bit forced Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's there's a danger with going for a drink immediately after rehearsals that all you do is talk about that rehearsal. Uh, and like, oh, this happened in scene two, and oh, and they're not happy with that, and the director did this. So, you know, in a way I've always found those sort of post-rehearsal drinks a little bit unhealthy. And you kind of wonder, you know, in that pie-in-the-sky idea, like, could we incorporate some kind of team-building sessions into, you know, not every day, but at the start of the process to help try and break down some walls? And when I say team-building, I really do not mean throw and catch the ball and like tell me the name of a you know if you had a penguin what name would you call it i'm like this isn't breaking down barriers i'm just bored and annoyed Mm -hmm. that i'm doing a weird Mm -hmm. exercise i'm not even sure what i'm asking for when i say team building but a way of helping the group find common ground find a common desire for the production i think you know as you say there when you were doing this touring show you felt a bit nervous about the shows it's it's helping people handle those nerves because i think mm-hmm. even in the rehearsal process you're nervous because half the time you're worried about what other people are thinking of you and i think that was something observing this football team that just they kept calling each other like a, a family and like a team of brothers and i'm not really sure we could say the same for a lot of our team project more like a fractured family yeah yeah and just to pick up on what you were saying there as well like going for a drink i actually think has a lot of now confusing connotations Mm. like i see that as a problem because it's like if i'm going somewhere that's quite loud i actually my voice doesn't carry very well in a pub and i don't want to go and just be shouting and shouting to Mm, try and mm, be mm. involved and then tie myself out and then come in the next day and feel really low in myself and i just wonder is there a way of us creating something that allows us to have i don't know a bit more safety and security in our practice and again in terms of mental health you know gareth and that team obviously they have the time and they have the money to have the time but they go through every possibility of what might happen on the pitch and you know this leads me quite smoothly into penalties but we're about to talk about that properly but they practice every potential eventuality Mm. so like they miss one and then what happens the next time or like the other team have scored two and they then have to to take their penalty mm-hmm. and the pressure is on or like there's been a there's been a situation where the referee has made the wrong decision and the team are really angry and they're riled up how do you take your penalty after that so it's like they're going through all these emotions in practice to try and then you know deliver on the night and i just think obviously that's the dream situation but imagine having that time to kind of run through like okay multiple times multiple options oh this went wrong but how do we deal with that i appreciate you know in a a penalty situation the pressure is really on but imagine just having that that opportunity and that safety and security to to practice those i think it's brilliant I, i imagine if when you were doing a run or something or even in the show itself, rather than seeing the assistant's musical director and the director and the assistant director 
just taking notes, yeah. like furiously taking notes mm-hmm. while you missed your topsy, obviously topsy in my case, <laughs> um, or, or you forgot some prop or something, rather than that, and then you sort of get riled up on stage because all you can think about is like, oh, I didn't nail that. Oh, I'm out of time with the orchestra. Now I can see the conductor stressed. Imagine if immediately you came off stage and they were like, oh, don't worry about that, but like, let's get back in. Yeah. Just just forget about it. I've made a note of it. You've made a note of it. It won't happen next time, so yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. I've never come across that before. That yeah. would be nice. Yeah, I think, you know, you're just picking up there. It's like, there's always this sense of pressure and judgment in, in everything you do. And I just, I just sense that, again, Gareth and that team have really gone through the psychology of like how to get the best out of your players. And I think Alex and I both agree that for us it's about like feeling comfortable and calm and safe and confident and when you're in that space and you feel all of those things you take risks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's you know not always does a risk pay off but knowing that it's okay i agree to take the risk and fail because if it comes off like how exciting Mm -hmm. is that and how inspirational is that for the performance but i think you know often in classical music it's not about that and if you make the mistake and if you fail because you took that risk it's it's on on you you. yeah yeah Yeah. and a sense of pressure and fear is it doesn't in my mind make for a good performance i wonder imagine a world where like casts had to do escape rooms or something together yes how fun would that be yeah flipping out people have literally jobs yeah this is true So then I think the next thing that we were going to talk about, and we have just started to touch on it briefly, was that sense of what I felt was team spirit in the England team. And the idea that in all of their interviews, Gareth, and also a number of the players would talk about the camp spirit for England in the Euros was unlike nothing they'd actually experienced before. And in particular, they they often were referring to themselves as like a family and a band of brothers. And I just thought, now, yes, they might have been told to say that. I can't, mm. can't comment on that. However, the idea that this team who are having to go out and perform at a really high level consider themselves to be one unit, one family that are working together in order to achieve whatever the end goal is. And having watched so much football commentary (laughs) over the last six weeks something i found interesting was in an interview with rio ferdinand and frank lampard they talked about when they played for the world cup so that's i believe maybe like 10 years ago roughly something like that they were unable to put their premier league rivalries aside so you know i think frank was playing for chelsea i can't even tell you who rio ferdinand played for but they were so used to being on these rival teams and competing against one another that when they were asked to come together for the World Cup, they were unable to kind of knit together in order to be that World Cup team and create that that chance that they needed. And I just found that really interesting because when you think about what we do and in a way for us as musicians, it's a highly competitive industry. It's a difficult industry mm. to make your way into. I find that when you come into a project, we do have our guards up. We do have our defenses up. I would say there is a sense of competitiveness. You know, you're hearing all your colleagues sing for the first time and in your head, you're weighing everybody up. You're going, oh, well, that, that, that person's good. Mm. Oh, that okay, person's yeah. very good. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, like I, I could sing that role better than that person. And I wish 
that we could find some kind of team spirit and be encouraged to put that competitiveness aside mm. in order to create the better project. Yeah, as a team. Yeah, I guess it's tough, isn't it? Because it's so drilled into us to yeah. be self-critical as well as okay we're taught to be critical of others in in order to learn from them aren't we and you know classes song classes or master classes things are highlighted which aren't so good for in order for everyone to see and for everyone to learn from so we are taught always to look for not to look for flaws i don't mean that but uh you're analyzing yeah exactly or constant analysis so how do you put that aside once you come together as a cast and i suppose it's that comfort in knowing that you're safe in this contract and that i don't know how it works in football and how if you're part of the team one year will you then be dropped afterwards i don't know whether whether that's always playing on their mind or something but i think for so many singers it's like oh my goodness does the director like me does the conductor like me who do i need to impress but so i can be hired again for the next season yeah so therefore yeah there's always this game isn't there yeah definitely you know always sort of putting other people down in order to fight for the limelight and show yourself in your best possible light you know there's a lot of peacocking Mm -hmm. in those projects where people are talking about all the amazing things they're doing and you know we've we've touched on this in, in previous podcasts and i just i always want you know how healthy is that and is that really building team spirit being like i'm doing this i'm doing this i'm doing this and it's like to be honest I'd just be happy enough to talk about the weather or Mm -hmm. something that helps me bond with you all because I find like if there's a good environment backstage, then I find that there's an even better environment Mm -hmm. on the stage. It's so much more fiery. There's so much more connection because you're all enjoying the experience. And to touch what you were saying on there about like worrying about the potential next job or the Mm -hmm. idea of being Mm -hmm. hired again. Again, I think footballers are quite well trained to literally only look at the next step so i mean again they could just be told to say these things but i definitely find like when they do their post-match interviews they talk about the match and then the only thing they talk about is the next match and they're like i'm getting we're all getting ready for the next game so like you know they'll be in the quarterfinal and they'll be like you know we did a good job it's about the semi-final now and preparing for that match Mm. and blah 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 if they have the mental control there to literally just be doing, you know, thinking I have to deliver my best in three days time on that game. And that is my sole focus right now. And then they look to the next thing and then they look mm-hmm, to the next mm-hmm. thing. And it'd be cool in a way if we could somehow find that. And it's like, it's only about giving the next show my best and the next show my best. And all I can do is do my best on the day rather than, as you say, that kind of more long-term worry of like, mm-hmm. am I going to work again? Which obviously is very different, you know, comparing football to music. Like football is just covered in, in cash and we're all just like dying in a hole. So <laughs> it's, it's, you know, fully respect is not quite the same. But I wonder if there's elements in their mentality that we could take that would allow us to create, you know, more sparky and enjoyable performances. Yeah, exactly. Just mental stability yeah, as well. Definitely. Yeah, and focus. Is sounds, sounds like what you're saying. You know, they it's a clear, a clear goal to work towards in three days' time, rather than just going to get wasted tonight. Yeah, because just done a show. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah. you know whatever. This is a call for Alex Simpson to wigs and makeup. Once again, this is a call for Alex Simpson to wigs and makeup. 
Moving on then to my favourite, the penalties. Uh, I know it's a slightly contentious topic. And if you are a football fan and you've listened to this, I am sorry. There were so many penalties during our, like the whole Euro thing. I've never seen more penalties in my life. <laughs> um, and actually of the whole football, I think the penalty is the most interesting bit. And I found as I was watching all of these penalties, again, I felt able to draw similarities. It really reminded me of a masterclass that I did with Barbara Hannigan. And I was singing, where shall I fly, Handel? Mm. And that starts with a recitative. And she kind of said, you know, when you open your mouth in that audition or that competition to sing, they will have judged you and made a full assessment of you essentially within the first 30 seconds. And it's about making that moment count. And it's about, you know, essentially shooting your shot Mm. and being able to make that good impact. And going away from that, I thought about that in terms of auditions and competitions that I gave that that, you know, those first notes have to be so on point and they have to be so ready. And it just reminded me of watching these players I know it's not the same scale, but watching these players walk up because they have to do this really long walk from the halfway line to the goal. And I cannot imagine what is going through their mm-hmm, minds at that mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. And then they they shoot their shot. And for some of them, it's glorious. And for some of them, it's not. And I just, I was thinking about that element of kind of pressure and handling that pressure. And, you know, it's all over in a matter of seconds, essentially. And how... Gareth really trains them to take penalties in all kinds of circumstances. And for us, it, I, I always find, you know, you turn up to an audition and it's so kind of nervous and the travel and then you're in the warm-up room and you're there for very long and then you're going into a space you've never seen before and it's all very stressful and then it's like, okay, I need to find calm mm, that, and yeah. focus mm-hmm. in order to deliver this five-minute audition piece or whatever it is the mental strain of doing things like auditions and competitions isn't really tackled at all not at all that walk they know exactly how long and from which point to where that walk is whereas yeah every audition is in a another random space yeah yeah you know and you might bump into someone on the way who will sort of break your concentration a bit and then you get into the audition room and maybe you you know it's that thing again we touched on in previous episodes on auditions you know the idea of what what do you do when you know someone on the panel or something and everything is sort of it's you can't predict what it's going to be like so you know it's that minute when not not minute sorry that'd be an awkward minute silence but like (laughs) 10 seconds or something when you've done everything you sort of get into character and then you turn and yeah. you're and you're and you're in performance mode. Yeah, you know, yeah. it would be great to really practice that yeah. five seconds yeah. or whatever it is. And I think it's like you could practice it at home, and that's really helpful to give you those motions. But it's like going through that with like adrenaline and stress. Those are the moments that are really quite hard to recreate. And I think also something I've always found is like I rush. Because Mm -hmm. I really don't want to waste people's time. That's just like something I do in every element of my life. So when when I'm standing there ready, I literally, I'm just like, I'm ready. And I'm not ready. I'm absolutely not ready. I just don't want people to feel like they're having to wait for me. Mm. But I haven't taken the necessary time to prepare myself. And again, it was watching these footballers. They're so focused. And actually, there was one goalie. Again, I couldn't tell you the team. And... uh, (laughs) 
he was like speaking to the players. Actually, this wasn't the Euros. This was a different tournament. God, these references so, so accurate. Yeah. But he would like goad the the person taking the penalty. You know, say like a lot of rude things to them and be like, "Oh, you're going to miss it. Like, I know That's you're going to miss it. Like, look at that. you. Exactly." And he was very good at it because he really knocked some of them off. And it's like, how do you deal with all of these pressures? And I just thought, you know, often. You know, you think of football and classical music as being worlds apart, mm. but actually, there's a lot of this element of stress, pressure, finding focus, and performing at your peak that is way more similar than we than we realise. I think. Oh yeah, totally. That I guess you know, it's it's snapping into a mindset. You're not Helen Daniels. You are I don't know Cesare or whoever you're going to be for that aria. You're not yeah. I don't know some football player around a name. Yeah. You are taking this penalty it doesn't matter who you are or what you're i would totally i'm sure if someone out there knows anything about football like is there a book that talks about like what they do and how they prepare i'm talking very specifically about this current manifestation of like the the england team because i'm everything i've read about gareth southgate i always think yes you absolutely are the right man for this job right now Mm. i know we didn't win but we came really close and this team are really young. So there are going to be opportunities in the future. And I just think the way he handles his team is, is really impressive. I'm sure there's so much sports psychology out there written Mm, about it. So mm -hmm. if anybody has any books or reading or listening, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure I should just listen to the Peter Crouch podcast. Um, But yes, I would love to know the exact science behind what it is that they're doing. This is a call for Helen Daniels to costuming. Once again, this is a call for Helen Daniels to costuming. And then our last little segment on the football England episode team situation idea was this kind of idea of the size of the team. And essentially, there are only 11 players on the pitch that start. And you then have your subs, which are people that you can switch on. But then there are then also additional players to the England team. And I was thinking about that in relation to casting and how often we have multiple casts for a show. And, you know, it used to be kind of cast A, cast B or cast one, cast two. But now it's like cast Heather and cast Lavender. Nice. Or, I was thinking easy jam around it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, well, one cast is not better than the other. You know, these casts are the same. But Lime. if we're being honest, we all know which cast is cast course, A and yeah. we all know which cast is cast B. But also that idea of the role of the understudy and something that I thought was really amazing was that at the end of a lot of the matches and in his post-match interviews, Gareth would always mention the players that hadn't been selected to play for that match. And he would say like, you know, I'm I'm sorry for X, Y, and Z because, you know, I wasn't able to bring them in for this match, but it's not because they're any worse than any others. It's it's just the way we needed to play today. And, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of them. And it's all about, you know, every player contributing to the team. And I just thought, God, imagine, imagine if our musical directors or our, directors in general spoke about all the casts and the understudies in that way and that idea that every person in the team is a crucial element to the process I just think that would generate such a different atmosphere in in the project because you know which cast is cast A and which is Mm -hmm. cast B and I was saying Mm -hmm. to you you know cast B 
never gets a bloody look in. You know, it's always cast A do all the blocking. They take all the movements first. And then it's swap, cast B. And you have to have magically assimilated the entire movement perfectly to do two runs and see how that goes. And I, I just loved the mentality that Gareth had that every single player is absolutely crucial. And there were there were moments where I saw him like at the end of matches go specifically to all the players on the bench and hug those players mm. because they did not get on that pitch and he recognizes that he needs to keep the morale high he needs to make sure that every player feels like a crucial part of the team and i just i really respect that attitude and approach well and also surely for those i was going to say those on stage those on the pitch knowing that there are these guys raring to go and ready at all times sort of puts them at ease a bit because they're like okay if i overexert myself or hurt myself or whatever it is that they do then it's okay I'm not letting my team down because they're ready yeah but I've never I've never come across that as in you know having covered someone Mm -hmm. it's very much like oh yeah be ready at all times but also don't really care about you You yeah it's like oh oh you're sitting at the back of the rehearsal hi yeah and also it's like you know you say be ready at all times but then you don't really give me any time to be on the stage and kind of assimilate how that feels. And I think that's the thing I find the most frustrating, like, you know, doing a cover and it's like, you're kind of standing near the person Mm -hmm. attempting to kind of half do the body movements, but nobody's really paying any attention. Yeah. And so then if you ever get a chance, you know, if there is the cover show or whatever, it's never quite what you want it to be. And I appreciate that's the nature of being the cover, but I do think there are ways that the covers could be better assimilated, the understudies could be better assimilated, that cast A and cast B could have equal time because it really irks me when it's like cast A and they've literally, you know, it's an hour rehearsal, it's been 45 minutes, cast A's blocked the entire thing and then they're like, okay, change. Cast B, yeah. Turn. And it's like, oh, right. And so I should just be able to do it or should yeah, I? Yeah, you've discovered it. And yeah. Fit in and apparently thing. sitting and watching is the same as doing, yeah. which it's obviously not. And I, yes, I know every director probably has their own style of doing this and yeah. some some are more even. But yeah, I mean, it, it's impossible to find find enough time to do that, essentially, yeah. isn't it? So that everyone gets the, the same amount of discovery process yeah. because it's your role as well, isn't it? Yeah. And also, why, why should cast A and cast B Hermia be... I don't know why Hermia, but that comes to mind. Um, why should they be exactly the same? You know, they yeah. could be totally different characters. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, but that requires time. Yeah, which... Yes, we don't have lots of time, I know. But I guess I'm curious, you know, as we come out of COVID or, you know, we we have to live with COVID, like, can we not, especially in these, like, potentially smaller companies, adapt our working practices to think about some of these things? And I know it's hard, and I know that there is also a temptation to just keep doing what we know how to do because we need to get shows out. But I think it's crucial that we revise the way we work and think about what you know better working practices for all of our artists because also and i think it was something that we were hopefully going to touch on in a future episode properly like if you don't give your understudy the time Mm. to assimilate the role and to enjoy the role and to you know really feel what it feels like being on stage and singing to other people that understudy actually isn't going to be ready to perform for you and as you know we were saying if covid's going to really strike and the pinging and the track and tracing and the blah we need understudies mm, yeah exactly and More we need them to be ready to go yeah. and i would say in you know current circumstances actually it's really tough for understudies they're essentially not ready to perform and i would say prior to covid we didn't really 
we had understudies, but it Who's never exactly and like never really with the expectation that they would make it to mm-hmm. the stage. Mm-hmm. It was more just like giving you the opportunity to have the exposure to seeing what that role looks like and if something terrible happens then we'll deal with you then yes i think that's the thing yeah it's like because like the the people in the main roles put so much pressure on themselves because they're you know they have to be at death's door to not perform whereas you you know it doesn't necessarily need to be like that if they know that the understudy is ready and you know really ready and wanting to yeah. hop on for them it's like yeah take this performance off if it's yeah. going to if it's going to mean that you're much weller oh wow <laughs> in much better voice and much better physical and mental health for then for the rest of the run yes. then yeah just take it off it, yeah. it's not it's not the end of the world just yeah coming back then to the football team it's the idea that all of those players they're ready to go at whatever time and i i just i really respect that mm. and like as you say you know if one of them becomes injured there's somebody to come in and fill the place and obviously it's a different player and they play in a different way but the team is flexible to adapt to that and again it's something you would hope that we are able to see in our production and i guess do they all do they all warm up together they're all yeah yeah stuff? pre-match post-match they're all together the only essential moments there that differentiate them are if they don't make it onto the pitch you know when you see them do these pre and post match interviews and things i i know that they're trained to work with the media but again it's such a they understand the need you know if if they don't make it onto the pitch they don't seem i mean who knows probably inside they are pretty gutted i do Mm -hmm, get that mm -hmm. but they all seem to have been taught that the goal is like the win for the team at the end and the team is the most important bit it just made me think a lot because i you know i feel when we come into projects we come in with our insecurities we come in with our egos we come in with our own personal desires for for whatever that project may be and i i would love it if there was a way for us to perhaps put some of those things to one side Mm, mm. and really just take the show as being like the most important thing and you know delivering a good show and just delivering at your best as a performer like I just think there's a lot to learn. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I would love to be a cover and feel like included in the show, even though I didn't go on to the show. Yeah. And that's not that you want recognition for being there, but that that's not the point. It's just like, yeah, I was there and I was ready at yeah. every moment, just in case anything happens. Yeah. And I was loving every moment of watching everyone, yeah. not just like critiquing and studying the guy that I was covering. which is sort of what it ends up being and and you'll sort of and you sort of slink off after the show because it's like oh you there whatever it doesn't really matter yeah Um, it shouldn't feel that way yeah it's very uh, yeah and every member of the team should feel like you know including every other member irrespective of whether they're on the pitch or not and of course like everybody has differences of opinion and it's not always going to be perfect all the time but i just feel so much time and energy is put into cultivating that positive team attitude and that very effective Mm. team spirit and i think it's interesting that you know gareth southgate is the one to be kind of training the england team in this way and this is the furthest they've got in a major tournament since 1966 yeah i don't know i think that's correct please don't fact check me on that this is the start of a new era you know it's inspirational and hopefully this is going to trickle down and all teams will sort of view this 
way of yeah. running things and and incorporating yeah, it. Yeah, we forget how young they are. Like nineteen. That oh Saka is nineteen. Rashford is twenty three. When you see them speak and play, I'm like, there is a level of maturity or like they've been coached into learning like how to really play as a unit. And again, our industry is different because we're not always playing as a team. But I do believe when you come into a project, which is a collective effort, whether that be ensemble gigs, whether that be an opera, whatever, I really think the collective is the thing that should become the most crucial thing, not like you and your ego and, and your, your fears and your dreams, whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll uh, wrap that up for today. As ever, we want to hear from you guys mm, and what you think, whether you care. Maybe you hate football too. Maybe you don't know anything about football. Yeah, are you like Alex? Did we teach you something about I football today? I might watch... A clip of a match. Yeah, I'd say take the highlights. Two and a half minutes just okay. wraps that it up really perfect, nicely. Yeah. All the interesting bits, absolutely. Sure. Are you a massive football fan? If so, do you think there are more similarities between classical music and mm. football that we haven't thought about? Is there scope for a second episode, which Alex can load? Yeah. Let's make it <laughs> happen, no, people. No, <laughs> but yeah, if you if you have any thoughts or you want to get in touch, you can do so via our website. What's the address, Alex? Oh, it's www.wheresmyfreakingdressingroom.com We're also on the socials. We're on Instagram at Dressing Room Pod. We're on Twitter at Dressing Room PO1. And we're on Facebook forward slash Dressing Room Pod. And if you want to write us an essay, yes, do it. Uh, use our wonderful email, which is wheresmyfreakingdressingroom at gmail.com. Amazing. Okay, we're going to love you and leave you. And um, we'll see you again soon for another episode. Goodbye. Bye.